Live Podcast presents History for the Future. Lessons from a Rabonia Trialist. This year marks the 30th anniversary of the release of Nelson Mandela. Most of the others sentenced to life imprisonment in that infamous Rivonia trial were released four months earlier after spending 26 years as political prisoners. Andrew Mlangeni is one of the last two surviving men who were sentenced at that trial in 1964. He was captured by the Guptas. He disappointed us terribly. We had trusted him when he put him up as president. In this final episode of the podcast series on his life, Mlangeni speaks to journalist Pippa Green about the transition into the new democracy and the challenges facing the country today. Andrew Mlangeni and his comrades were released into a time of hope and violence, joy and fear. On the one hand, they knew that freedom was at hand. Mandela himself was released three months after them on February the 11th, 1990. Within two years, formal negotiations between the liberation movements and the National Party government were underway. Mlangeni was reunited with his family, including his wife June, whom he remained devoted to, and his children, although not all at the same time. His two older daughters were near his home, but his two sons were in exile. He and his fellow trialists travelled to Lusaka to see the ANC in exile, where Governor Mbeki was reunited with his sons Tabo and Woletsi, and Walter Sisulu saw his oldest son, Max, again for the first time in a quarter of a century. But Mlangeni's sons, Aubrey and Sello, who had also gone into exile, were not there. In early 1990, he was part of an ANC delegation that went to Sweden to visit Oliver Tambo, who was being treated after a stroke. En route, he and June spent a night in Norway. They were in their hotel when there was a knock at the door, as his biographer Mandle Matabule describes it. He stood up to open it and was greeted by a black man with a white woman and a young girl. He thought at first that this could be a journalist seeking an interview, but the man's first few words included some sisutu. Who are you? He asked, drawing loud laughter from the man and some anxiety from the woman and the child. The scene drew some curiosity from June as well. She got up from the bed. Papa, you don't know your own child. His other son, Aubrey, had joined the Zimbabwean army and Blangeni went to visit him there. His attachment to his family remained as strong, hardly dented by his 26 years in prison. In December 2000, he and June celebrated the 50th anniversary of their marriage. But tragically, less than six months later, June passed away from cancer of the esophagus. Matabule describes the moment in his book. By the time the first family members arrived to the sad news of her passing away, Andrew was heard praying softly. During the night vigil before her burial, a week later, he cried inconsolably. He had lost the woman who was always behind him who had taken care of him and their children. As he described, the woman whom I found where I left her after spending so many years in jail. He had often told her how grateful he was that she had managed to carry the family on her shoulders while he was away. And he thanked God for giving her such strength. 
he only regretted that when he thought it was his turn to relieve her, his time to carry her and the entire family, God had chosen to take her so early. It is so soon, and if only God had allowed me more time to make her happy, he said. After the first democratic elections in 1994, Mlangeni became a member of parliament, ever a backroom boy as he described himself. He was an ordinary MP for one term. Since then, he's remained an integral part of the ANC, playing a key role in its integrity committee and becoming openly critical of corruption and mismanagement of public funds. What do you think went wrong in the last 10 years in government? What happened? Zuma. Why? What did he do? He was captured by the Guptas. He disappointed us terribly, my dear. We had trusted him when he put him up as president. Did he see it coming before Jacob Zuma was elected, before the chapter of what is now known as state capture that benefited the Gupta family unfolded? We couldn't have seen it because it was not very clear. Uh, when when the media started writing things about uh, Sheikh Shabir and his influence over Zuma, when Zuma was still the MEC in KZN, mm. we saw this media pointing out that he relies completely on Sheikh Shabir for everything, from money, maintenance of his family, a huge family, and so on. And he was already the deputy president of the ANC. Some of us started to worry a bit. The ANC's Integrity Committee, which Mlangeni chaired, invited him to a meeting when he was still president in 2016. I first of all started by praising him for the contribution he has made I said, you did very well, among other things. But now things have completely changed. You have changed from what you were. You are now under the influence of Gupta. And you know what people are saying about Gupta and yourself. Comrade, you have done very well at the beginning, but we think, now look at the economy of the country has gone down very badly. South Africa is being rated, it's coming down, the ratings of South Africa is coming down. Everything is disorganized. Please step down quietly. We are appealing to you, comrade, to step down. His response was, comrade, there are some Western countries that want me to step down. and to put their own people in the leadership of the ANC. I am here to defend the ANC. We rejected that. The Integrity Committee called another meeting in December of that year with the top six of the ANC. Again, we are saying he must step down. But we want to say this to the entire Uh, leadership of the ANC. 
the six officials. While we were waiting for him, we already had to to the house, all of the all members of the commission. Here he comes in with the deputy president, Ramaphosa at the time. They say, comrade, we are sent by the other members of the, of the officials, four members, to come and tell you, commission, that you have made a request to meet us, but you did not give us the agenda. You have, you should have given us the agenda so that when we come to meet us, we know what it is that we are going to talk about. That was the mistake we made also. We should have called him and, uh, and uh, put the matter to him and said, these are the complaints of people in throughout the country. What is your response? And then make our own findings as a commission, and then make a recommendation. We did not do that. Mlangeni and his colleagues had thought they could speak to him, as he put it, privately as a comrade and he would understand. But that attempt failed. So there was no formal hearing and no formal decision. Was that an oversight? No, we thought or if was it we strategic? talked to him privately mm-hmm. and praise what he had done in the past mm-hmm. and... Uh, nicely request him to step down, he would understand. Because all other things have failed from all other groups of people throughout the country. Does he feel after the election of Cyril Ramaphosa as president that the country is in a better place? Ramaphosa's approach and leadership is different from that of Zuma. It's also, I think, different from that of Tabumbeki. Cyril believes in, in, in discussions, believes that a lot of problems can be resolved by having peaceful discussions. You know, he showed his capability when he was the secretary of the ANC. When Codessa failed, con- uh, uh, failed to continue at one stage, and uh, I was in the NEC at the time, and uh, we said, keep your friendship and your contact with Rolf Mayer, because Rolf Mayer was the secretary of the National Party mm. at the time, very influential also on the side of the National Party. Keep that contact, don't let it off, because if you let it go, everything will come to a standstill. We won't make a progress. Cyril kept that contact, and it does appear also that on the side of the National Party, they were also saying, don't let the contact, your contact with Cyril flop. Keep it, because you two are the only people now who who can keep us informed and who can make better suggestions on how to revive the talks uh, of CODESA and the ANC and so on. Cyril kept that. Himself and Ruth Mayer were successful. CODESA was revived and it led to more better uh, discussions. Otherwise, we would not be where we are today 
if two of them did not keep that contact and do as you were telling them. Where does he hope the country will be in 10 years? I would like to see the first thing that must be got rid of is corruption, which is prevalent. People in government, in political parties, and everywhere are corrupt. Even government officials might. You can see what is happening in the departments, how corrupt people are. This is the main war that we are faced with. I I don't know if we are going to be successful. We've got to get rid of corruption. People are struggling, people are protesting almost every week. People are protesting somewhere because of lack of services. The money is set aside by government to provide services for the people has gone into pockets of private people. People have enriched themselves. And that is why you see all these protests everywhere. On the question of land expropriation, he advocates caution. If we don't handle this issue properly as ANC and the government, I can't see Africaners easily agreeing to the, to the land which they say is theirs now, being taken away from them without compensation. I can't see that happening. Some of them have worked very hard to be where they are. They're going to fight. Peace is sometimes part of the equation, he believes. Just as the ANC agreed to the Ingonyama Trust being created in a partnership between then-President F.W. de Klerk and the leaders of the Inkata Freedom Party and the Zulu royal family. The, the government did not agree that they should keep that land and that they were going to take it without compensation would have caused uh, destability in the country, would have destabilized the country. Because they will organize, Zulus will organize. They would even want to break away from South Africa and say, we are not part of South Africa, we want to be a separate state. Because a lot of problems which might take years to resolve. Mlangeni still dreams of a better country. We would like to see the country being peaceful, Corruption being being destroyed, the economy of the country improving, jobs being created for people in the country, houses being built, electricity being supplied, water. At 94 years old, Andrew Mlangeni still plays golf, spends time with his grandchildren at his homes in Soweto and Cape Town, and continues to pursue his dream of a better country for all. I'm Pippa Green, and this is the last part in a series of podcasts on the life and times of Andrew Mlangeni. History for the Future is published by Prime Media Broadcasting for Life Podcast. Commissioned by Carl Gossner, digital editorial and promotional support from Gary Oberolzer, Gavin Daisel, and Zaikira Rosia Falanda. Thanks to Butle Mataluni for additional voicing and Mantle Matabule for lending his voice and reading from his biography of Andrew Mlangeni, The Backroom Boy. That book is available via good bookstores or online via vitpress.co.za. And a massive thanks to Jimmy Matthews for the photograph of Mr. Mlangeni, which was used in the podcast series. 
The podcast was packaged by me, Jean-Michel. And if you're looking for more thought-provoking podcasts, now that this one is done, check out lifepodcasts.fm. History for the future. Lessons from a Rivonia Trialist is presented by Live Podcasts. For more of great radio and podcast content, visit lifepodcasts.fm.